Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. You join me in a conversation with Victor Montori, author of Why We Revolt, A Patient Revolution for Careful and Kind Care. Dr. Montori is Professor of Medicine at Mayo Clinic. He's a practicing endocrinologist, researcher, an author and recognized expert in evidence-based medicine and shared decision-making. What is your superpower? So I'm originally from Peru, and I went to medical school in Peru. And then by way, training takes place in terms of becoming a specialist. I'm an endocrinologist. I take care of people with diabetes. I came to the United States uh, to Mayo Clinic specifically in 1996 and received my training here at Mayo Clinic, spent a couple of years in Canada and then returned to Mayo Clinic to be on staff where I'm now mostly a researcher and a clinician. I have a father of three boys and and with uh, with some friends, we've developed a nonprofit organization called the Patient Revolution, where we're taking some of the things we've learned in that in that story, both in terms of the training, uh, the life experience, plus the research, and put it into an advocacy, uh, into an action uh, organization, nonprofit organization that is uh, designed to weaponize stories, promote a revolution. Uh, and move healthcare from an industrial activity to one capable of careful and kind care for all. So that's where the passion is at the moment. But, you know, nothing super powerful about it. It's just the, the power of uh, language, ideas, collaborations, friendships, and uh, thinking that uh, you're on the, on the path of, you know, justice, common sense, and uh, well-being for all. So why, Victor, are you interested in that, personally speaking? Is there some, something in your past that led you to this point? I was not bit by a bat or a spider. I did not come from outer space. So I don't have a wonderful origin story. Um, I presume to, to have one will imply that I'm some sort of superhero. I think, I think I'm like most other people that are put in the privileged position of the bedside where we can be and bear witness to suffering and then also bear witness to the uh, particular cruelty of a system that, while it's designed and assumed to care, often manages to uh, only do so by accident and more incidentally just be cruel. You know, you could adapt to that and get used to it and, and not see it or once you see it, you cannot unsee it. And then it's just a matter of uh, wondering what kind of system are you going to leave behind? Uh, I mean, I'm still very young, but I think that the kind of change that this will require will take a lot of time, perhaps several generations. And I do worry that if my children uh, become sick or their children were to become sick, will they be cared for by a system that is completely impersonal? Will they be cared for by a system that is much more interested in their in their money than in their health? And will they ever get to have their hands held at a bedside when they're suffering or perhaps when, they're, when death is approaching? Again, I think I mean, I'm passionate about it, not because of a personal story, not because of, a, of, a, um, of potential benefit for me or for those loved ones now, but rather because I've been put in a position to 
be a witness to something extraordinary, a massive system to heal that fails repeatedly to do so and instead is cruel. You're talking about a massive sea change in the way healthcare is delivered. We, we are currently a factory where people end up uh, essentially taking a ticket and sitting in line and waiting for the doctor to give them five minutes. What you are talking about is a change that will be really quite extraordinary. It will be taking us back in some ways back, but in other ways forward. What do you think is the most important thing that could help along this journey? First, let's pick up on this, this thing about going back, because I've, I've, I've had the same thing happen to me, where as you try to imagine what the future ought to be, the first reaction is to use the language of, we need to go back when the time when we cared. But if you go back, actually, you'll find that these are extraordinary times. There was never a, a situation in the past where we had the ability to make the kinds of impact that we can do today. So there is no going back as, you know, the and theoretical physics will teach us there is no such a thing as the past or the future anyway, but there is no going back. It's a going forward in which we remember the fundamentals of caring for and about each other, a fundamental that is not just scientific, but it's also based on relationships of love. And we have, we have gotten into this idea that if we just have the right systems and the right science, that those relationships become optional or unnecessary or maybe a luxury, something that perhaps people with money can access, but the rest of us will not. No, that's a mistake. Care can only occur within those relationships, particularly care for ongoing conditions, particularly situations where we cannot fix the person. And, and that's a majority of instances nowadays. And so care can only occur within those contexts of relationship and without those relationships, just that, that just cannot happen. But you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a massive change. And I think our movement distinguishes itself from other efforts currently in that we're, we're, we accept the, 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 the rationale, the basis of this industrial healthcare. And then we try to tweak, we try to improve, we try to optimize within it. Uh, this is different. This is, this is challenging the fundamentals, calling the system for what it is, and recognizing the victims of the system, which is not just the patient, but it's also the frontline people, the frontline professionals who are put in impossible positions to, to, where they're exposed to the suffering and then they're, they're asked to hold back and not give what they could to provide healing and care. And with those victims in mind, we need the system that actually becomes accountable to them because the professionals and the patients together are co-creating care in only, way, in only the way they would know how to do because they are uh, in a position to do so. And the whole system, the whole business aspect of it should be there to enable and support it rather than lead it. So what is the most exciting thing on the horizon? that you see will make a difference in the way that you are describing the unfolding of our future? Again, you, you see, I pick up on words. I think um, the most exciting in the, in the near term is the effort to completely change the language we use to describe uh, what we're talking about. So you, you hear me talk about industrial healthcare, you hear me talk about cruelty, you hear me talk about love. And if we keep going, we'll talk about solidarity and elegance and integrity. You won't hear me talk about high-value healthcare and throughput and efficiencies and these sorts of things. And I think changing the language that we use to describe this thing 
will change the way we think about it, and I think will change our actions. So that's in the short term. But you also use the word horizon, and it reminds me of the uh, uh, Uruguayan writer Galeano, who tells a story of being at a conference in Colombia with Argentinian filmmaker, and a student asks them, "Why, why have utopias?" And uh, he asked actually the, the, the filmmaker, and the, Galeano tells the story of the, the filmmaker's response to that question. And the filmmaker responded that utopias are like the horizon. One takes 10 steps, 10 steps forward, and the horizon takes 10, 10 steps back. One takes six more steps forward, the horizon takes six steps back. So why do we have utopias? Why do we have these horizons? To walk. And I think that's exactly the point. Once we can imagine what a, uh, and this is the most exciting thing, is to try to imagine what careful and kind care is and what are the institutions and the basis for those institutions that will actually produce by default. It will be the output of its design to be able to, pro- to provide that careful and kind care for everyone. Once we can imagine that, it becomes the horizon, it becomes a utopia. And then we take the steps in that direction that hopefully in one or two generations will give us the kind of result that we cannot get with the system as it is today. I'm impatient. One or two generations seems an awfully long time. I want this now. What can we do right now that will get us to the point where we, we begin to realize that the landscape is changing? Yeah, and my job is to resist your impatience. Because it's real change. It's real fundamental institutional change. And any, any review of history knows that it takes a long, long time. Now, sometimes there are, there are moments where it accelerates and, and things flipped. Uh, in my lifetime, I've seen, for instance, the general acceptance of same, same-sex marriage as being a long process that eventually reached some sort of tipping point and became you know, the default or the, at least a, an accepted default. It may be that we are going to be in that process and uh, that it will be a series of moments where some things become unacceptable. For instance, uh, for-profit healthcare, maybe there will be a day where it may become unacceptable that some people will actually extract money from the system for personal profit, while at the same time the system is pricing some people out of the care that they need. At some point, that will become unacceptable. It will be seen for the immorality that it is. Uh, similarly, in, in, in universal healthcare countries, people will begin to recognize that austerity policies that are designed for political purposes to do the same thing, extract resources from the system, have followed cause the same final common pathway to care. In other words, reductions in the time that we have to care for each other, reductions in the access to um, uh, time and science uh, to produce those changes and so forth. So profit, for instance, in the United States or austerity policies in other countries, I saw it in, and, and in other places like in Peru, for instance, corruption and poverty. These are ways in which particulars, either for political ambitions or personal ambitions, extract resources or not put resources into the healthcare system. And impoverished systems behave exact same way at at the front end, which is uh, they become unable to care. And so I would expect that, uh, for instance, managers uh, of healthcare 
will uh, graduate from the notion that they have to favor efficiency. Efficiency is important. We should not be waste those resources because wasting those resources is essentially the same as profiting and extracting value from the system. So we shouldn't waste. But they will never imagine just the extraction of waste as their goal. But they also they should also prevent the system from becoming accelerated, overclocked. And so there should be no waste, but there should be no haste. That's what I call elegant healthcare. So we need to move from efficient healthcare to elegant healthcare. Again, instead of profit-based systems, we need to move to a solidarity-based system. So some countries already have done that. So we are already in that way. We are already on our way. But some of them are looking curiously at the possibility of moving to greed-based systems, at least partially, allowing for-profit healthcare to um, pollute their uh, solidarity-based systems. So part of the patient revolution is actually to resist those uh, steps backwards, although I think it's part of any process that there will be some back and forth until we get to what we need to be. I think a mistake is to perfectly define the system, almost like putting blueprints of what the system ought to be uh, at this point. Because when we get there, the best system is one that will adapt to the circumstances of the people it serves. So rather than blueprints that we can set up today and define very clearly, what we need to have is moral principles and directions. And then as the systems evolve in the different circumscriptions and to respond to different patient needs, those systems will acquire innovations in the way they deliver care that re- that are responsive to those principles, but also responsive to the needs of the people that they're trying to serve. That is a big vision. Now I'm going to put you on the spot and say, what one piece of advice one piece of advice would you offer healthcare providers, whether they work in Baltimore, United States, or whether they work in Brisbane, Australia? I Well, uh, it's hard, but there are multiple uh, advices. But I, I guess the one that connects us all, if you are a health professional, if you're a clinician, that work comes from the notion of being at the bedside. If you have the privilege of being at the bedside of a patient, make sure that at least with one of your patients, if not more, you stop, you slow down, you take a breath, you look at that person in the eye, maybe you know, hold their hand, recognize the suffering, and recognize the enormous privilege that you have of being in front of the suffering person with the possibility of helping them, with the possibility of care. Give that person the time, and then feel, feel how you feel about it. Feel how you feel with the other person about this. Recognize that. It's possible that when you recognize it, you realize that you've lost it, that you may have lost it from your routine. But if you, if you treasure it when it happens and you can make it happen, I think you will wake up the next day with hunger for more. And if we all were to do it, if we all were to look for those moments of unhurried consultation, of unhurried conversations, if we were to all make those happen, I think it will, it will um, bring systems to their knees. It may be the biggest statement of rebellion that we can actually create, not by slowing the machine down, but by demonstrating what care can do. And so my recommendation will be at least once, make an unhurried consultation happen. The patient will be surprised. You'll be surprised. I, I almost for sure, I guarantee that there'll be laughter 
perhaps there'll be some crying, there'll be some holding of the hands. And when you go home, you will feel uh, as a clinician energized and you'll want more. And maybe that's one of the fundamental seeds of a, of a revolution. That was Victor Montori calling for justice, common sense and well-being for all. Whilst he feels that the future will take many generations to unfold, he also points out that a simple way that we can achieve this today is by having unhurried consultations with our patients. The Journal of Health Design. Better health by design. Visit us at www.journalofhealthdesign.com.